yes, much drunk I history. Just like, no. That's what this reminds me. <laughs> they just turn on the camera. Yeah, I like that because I wanted to just be so natural. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Six Figure Social Worker. It's your girl, L.A. I am your six-figure social worker, and I am sitting here with my co-host, Celia Williamson. And this week and today, we're going to just really share, and Celia is going to share her journey to becoming a six-figure social worker. And so um, we're just going to allow you to eavesdrop. I'm going to try to ask Celia as many questions as possible to help you in your journey. So again, this podcast is designed to help you make a living while making a difference. Yeah, That's what this podcast is about. So we're going to inspire, we're going to motivate, but we're also going to educate and we're going to equip you to move further in the field of social work. So without further ado, Celia Williamson, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm excited because uh, I want to talk about uh, how to help people get six figures. I, I'm I'm a fan of lifting the whole profession mm-hmm. up financially as well as emotionally, spiritually, you can get six figures. We know you can take care of your family. Absolutely. So nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. So Celia, you um, currently have your PhD, right? Yes. Okay. Talk to us about your journey in becoming a six-figure social worker. Well, um, I started out in a two-year social services technology program. And uh, I only pursued that because my father said, you know, please do something with your life before we die. Um, so, <laughs> so, and he, he kind of bribed me. So I decided I would give school a try. Um, I had uh, lived in a <clears throat> pretty high crime area, low income area. And so my dream was to be a drug dealer. But um, <laughs> I tried being a drug dealer for one day. I bought a, a pound of marijuana. I, bagged it up and I was so happy that I was in business that I had a big party and of course you know what happened Uh, somebody stole the whole pound of weed and the next day I decided I probably wouldn't be very good as a drug dealer (laughs) so (laughs) I'm gonna give school a try so I did that and I did two years and I was very excited I wanted to continue so I wanted to transfer my two-year credits over and get a four-year degree only to find out that my two years of classes would none of the classes would transfer so I would have to start over so I felt very homicidal and suicidal and then I decided okay you know I have to continue to pursue this dream and I started over and I got a bachelor's degree okay um got a job um pretty excited to get my first social work job I made 18000 a year. I thought I had some money. Wow. It was enough for me to have, you know, an apartment in, in my low-income area to take care of most of my bills, have a car that might make it from this side of town to the other, <laughs> wow. you know, and, yes. and, that, and that was fine. Um, and I loved working with people. Mm-hmm. I loved helping to make a difference. Um, then I decided... Um, if I could do this, I could get a master's degree. Okay. And, you know, I want to remind, I really want to tell the truth because 
I think people make it in life, whatever, however they, they consider making it because someone else believed in them as well. Mm. And, you know, my father believed that I could go to college. Mm -hmm. I thought he was crazy. (laughs) He thinks I could go to college. Mm -hmm. I didn't do well in high school. I got C's and D's. I skipped high school a lot. So, but he thought I could make it. And I thought, okay, I guess, you know, I'll trust in what he thinks. And mm-hmm. I tried it and it, I actually, I, I struggled. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I, I have a PhD, I've written several grants and gotten several million dollars uh, written articles and reports. And, but when I first started college, I had to take the basic writing course three times. I failed wow. it the first two times. Wow. I could not write. I was not educated in high school. Okay. And so I just persevered through that. And I got my that degree and I got my bachelor's degree. And I went to work one day and my boss said, you know, it's time for you to get a master's. Okay. It was like, again, someone said, I believe in you. Mm-hmm. I mean, they didn't hand me papers they didn't fill out the papers they didn't hand me money it was just the fact that someone else validated that I might be able to be a master in my craft yeah yeah like that was amazing to me so Mm -hmm. I hung on to that because again I don't think you 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 don't rise to low expectations people have a high expectation and you cross your fingers and hope that Mm -hmm. (laughs) that what they're saying is true right right so I filled out the paperwork for my master's. I knew you had to have a 2.7 to even apply. And I had a 2.69. Okay. So there's no way I should have even applied. I I should have told myself no. Mm -hmm. But by that time, I had a little self-esteem about me. And I said, I'm not going to tell myself no. Let let somebody else tell me no. Right. (laughs) And I went on and applied. Mm -hmm. And I got an opportunity to go down and interview with the school they didn't accept me but they they said i'll interview you okay which i was grateful i had to borrow a car that would make it to (laughs) (laughs) now at this time you have your bachelor's right yeah okay and i'm making just enough money to not own a car that would make it from toledo to cleveland wow (laughs) so i had to borrow a car i was 45 minutes late for the appointment because I didn't really at that time understand time is critical right. in, in successful environments. Mm-hmm. And so I went in 45 minutes late. I said, I'm sorry, I'm late, but I'm here. And he was reading the paper. He put down the paper and he said, yes, you are late. And he lifted the paper back up and went on reading. Mm. Wow. And I stood at the doorway and I thought, walk away save your dignity and walk away mm-hmm. you have failed now wow. leave wow except as my mind was saying please save your dignity and leave i saw my feet walking toward him and in great horror <laughs> i thought what are you doing what are you doing and but the dream was too big i couldn't turn away and walk. Right, i couldn't right, turn and walk away right So I went over and I stood in front of him and I took my finger and I pulled his paper down. And he looked at me as if, who are you? And I said, you know what? I know I'm late. I have a dream. You don't know about my dream. You don't know where I've been. You don't know where I'm going to. I'm gonna do something so great 
I would love to have this university's name attached to what I do. Wow. And he was like, what? Mm-hmm. And I was like, do you mind if I have a seat as I was already sitting? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I like that determination. Yes. And yeah. I sat for an hour and I just told him about everything that I was doing and what I wanted to do. And at the end, he said, I'll, you know, I'm going to make sure you get in this university. I have one condition. And I said, yeah, he said, as long as I can be there to see you graduate. Okay. Now, like, what school okay. is this? This was Case Western University. Okay. Okay. Case okay. Western Reserve in Cleveland. It's a very good okay. school. Okay. So now you have your masters. And have my so masters. what what area of um, social work were you working in? I worked 10 years in micro work. Okay. I started working with families, kids in a north end of Toledo where I was raised, high crime area, and I loved it. Loved it. I was so happy to go to work. I couldn't believe they would give me a paycheck to do this. Right. And then I saw women standing out on the corner in prostitution and honestly I didn't I didn't like them. I wanted them to go away. I thought they were bringing crime and drugs mm-hmm. into the neighborhood and the condoms that I had to sweep up and you know, I I was on automatic pilot in terms of stigmatizing them. Mm-hmm. I didn't even realize what I was doing. And one day I decided to think about that. And mm-hmm. I thought about what my Christian principles were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I thought about, you know, the primary mission of a social worker is to work with the vulnerable, the poor, and the oppressed. Yes. And I always say I was working with the beautiful, the worthy, and the deserving. Pat <laughs> oh, yeah. myself on the back mm-hmm. thinking I'm doing a good job. Right. And so... I ended up going on the street for six months, three days a week, just interacting with the women, engaging them, built the first program in Ohio that works directly with uh, survivors of trafficking. Okay. And that kind of led me into macro work. Okay. I wasn't interested in macro work, but, you know, micro work can only take you so far in my particular field because... There were so many barriers and so many systems that needed to be in place and uh, so many misunderstandings and about the population and about sex trafficking at that time. And so that was over 25 years ago and I built the first program and it just led me to learn to uh, develop programming, to write grants, to get contracts, to all of those, to build a coalition. Okay. Um, all of those things that I now excel in. Okay. So. What is your position now? My position now is the executive director of the Human Trafficking and Social Justice Institute okay. at the University of Toledo. Okay. And how much did you make a year? Uh, this past year, I made about 160000 Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And so what inspired you to get your Ph.D.? So you had your master's yeah. in social work. What inspired you to go further, higher in your education? Well, I think there's never so much as a good indicator of increasing your self-esteem as accomplishment. Okay. So by the time I got a master's at Case Western, I was like, whoa, like, excuse me, back up. I am among the people. I might have some brain power. So I decided, you know, I want to write the books. I want to do the research. I want to teach the classes. I want to teach people how to do social work 
in terms of non-judgmental attitudes, starting where the client right. is. I've worked with the most stigmatized population, yeah. uh, you know, for 15, 20 years at that time. So I just applied really out of ignorance because I, I don't know if I would have done it if I'd have known right. everything. Right. That. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so... Um, so that's one of the things I really want to tell people is what it is about so mm-hmm. that they know mm-hmm. in full disclosure what they're entering into. Right, right, right. Because I think you have to put on your intellectual helmet and you have to be ready to get in that plane and mm-hmm. go to a new elevation. Right, right. Where there's going to be turbulence right. and bumpiness. Right. But it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I when I got my PhD, I started out at fifty-two thousand a year. Okay. So nothing stellar. Okay. Uh, because I think master degree people can make that now, but mm-hmm. um, but I managed. I knew I was gonna go at that point. I knew I was gonna get to six figures. Okay. Because if it was about being able to slay these dragons in terms of books and writing, if I could okay. accomplish this, right. All I have to do is just keep my ears open, learn as much as I can. Mm-hmm. And that's when I learned, I, I ran into learning about grants. Right, right. And I discovered that grants bring in money. Mm-hmm. And I could use money in my community to develop programming where there isn't, to right, expand right, programming where right, we need it. Absolutely. Money and money comes power. Right. And so a lot of social workers get sort of, it's implicitly taught that you shouldn't, pers- you shouldn't pursue money and right. you shouldn't pursue power. Right. And I say you should always pursue money and power, mm-hmm. particularly if you're a macro worker, because money and power allows you to open doors right. for people that will never have doors open to them. Right. right. Power allows you to sit at the table, a table that the people you work for will never get a chance to sit at. Right, right. I always say when somebody hands you the mic, grab it and start talking. Mm. If they call you to the stage, you always say, yes, I do have something to say. Mm. And then you think about what you need to say when you're walking up there. Wow. But <laughs> but okay. it's too important. Right. There are people that have no power, mm-hmm. don't have justice in this world, mm-hmm. and you have a chance to sit at the table, right. and you have a chance to get the mic, Absolutely. and you don't take it? Absolutely. No, no. You don't right. take it because it's about you. It's right. about your shyness. Right. You exactly. got to get shy out of the way because this profession is not about you. Right. Exactly. So take that mic, mm-hmm. take that seat, mm-hmm. take that power. Right. When they say, do you want to run this committee? Yes, I do. Right. Do you right. want to get paid? Yes, I do. Right, right. Because the best way to teach self-esteem is the habit. Right, wow. So if wow. I put money I in it. my pocket, I don't feel ashamed. Right. I feel happy. I like money. Money likes me. I'm not ashamed of it. Right. But more importantly, I teach people. I teach my clients. I teach my children. I teach my family that I am valuable. Right, right. So, right. um... I, I really want, I'm thinking about um, the social workers who reach out to me, and I really want them to have a clear 
um, sense of direction. Like, I don't want them to leave or listen to this podcast as if, okay, I got to get a PhD if I mm-hmm. want a six-figure income. I yes, mean, no. last last podcast, we interviewed a young man who has his master's when, you know, I shared yes. my experience. I don't have my PhD, That's you right. know, and so just helping the audience understand what is the reason behind it, but yes. also seeing no matter what, whether it's, you know, you with your doctorate and on a macro level, mm-hmm. writing grants and creating programs mm-hmm. or me with my master's and my independent license, mm-hmm. you know, actually helping the programs that you write the grants for. Absolutely. You know, and that's yeah. what I want the, the social workers to understand. Like, no, think outside the box. Mm-hmm. I think a master level social worker, mm-hmm. even a bachelor level social worker, but more commonly a master level social worker can make six figures, can write grants, can open programs, can do all of the things mm-hmm. um, except if you desire to work in a university. Right. You can even do research, mm-hmm. credible, quality research with a master's degree, and a lot of people do. Um, a PhD is really useful if you want to be in a university and you want to um, obtain tenure, which mm-hmm. means basically um, we're accepting you for a lifelong position. Okay. Um, and so that's really the only reason. Some people get a PhD because they just like to be called doctor, and that's fine. Okay. Uh, they go out in the community and they work. Um, the master's level social worker is the terminal degree for practice. Mm-hmm. You don't need, that's the highest you can go for practice. Right. You're getting a PhD because you want to teach at a university and perhaps you want to do research. Right. Because the thing is, is that you had to vow poverty mm-hmm. when you <laughs> when you got your PhD, right? Yes, yes. You um, know. Yeah, that's true. You, you're not going to be rich for a while. You're going to be a poor student for a while more. Uh, but this is the this is the critical thing, and I, I want the audience to hear this. If you desire a PhD, you do not pay for it. Okay. Okay, so your bachelor's, you know, you might get a grant or two if you don't, family doesn't have a lot of money. Your master's program, probably where social workers are going to go in debt with student loans because it's hard to come by those scholarships for that. PhD, every, I, I don't know one person that has a PhD that paid for it. Oh, wow. PhD, when you apply and they accept you, they also send you a packet. So a scholarship, mm-hmm. graduate assistantships okay. should never pay for a PhD with a student loan. Wow. So that that's one tip. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they they want to give you these scholarships if you're if you're a full time okay. doctoral student. If you're a part time doctoral student, then you you'll have to pay for it because okay. these scholarships are for full time students. They okay. want you to focus on your studies. They don't mm-hmm. want you to go off to a job. Right. That's why they pay you to stay home and just focus on your studies right. and come to class and focus on that. Right. Um, and so that's really very common. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, social workers with a PhD uh, are likely to make a little more money in universities than professions that say uh, women and gender studies or sociology or philosophy. Mm-hmm. If it's not tied to an actual profession, mm-hmm. they tend to pay less at mm. universities. So okay. social work is tied to a profession. Okay. So those faculty members usually start out a little bit better. Okay. Not as much as a business PhD, um, mm-hmm. you know, graduate, but 
you know, better than philosophy and things like that. Okay. Okay. So if you are a social worker seeking to um, obtain your PhD, what would you say to that individual? I would say if you want to go the next fall or when you're in, when you're intending to go, um, then I would apply to at least five places. Okay. Some people can't leave town because they have family and things like that. So you would just have to apply to the place closest to you and, and hope and pray, but you might not get in. If you apply to five places, you do a really good job in your application, you'll probably likely be offered one. What you don't want to do is is write one set of materials and send them to all five places because each of them are asking you different questions okay. in your personal statement. If you remember getting your master's degree, you had to do a personal statement. Each will ask you different questions. Okay. Um, what I would say is, is what's a benefit of getting a PhD is when you get a univer- in a university and you earn tenure then that's a paycheck for life. You never really have to worry about food and lights right. and having a car okay. and buying a car <laughs> okay. and going on vacation. Like those days are basically gone. Okay. Unless, you know, you want to drive a, you know, Mercedes and you want to go to Aruba. <laughs> but those days are basically, you, you don't really worry about money and your freedom is there. Yeah. So, you, so in a in a university, you have to teach, mm-hmm. but you have a little bit of a say in when your classes happen. If you like night classes or day classes, you have to do research, but it's it's in the area that you love, that you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid of research because that's what your doctoral program would do. It would teach you so that you know how to do research, okay. and then service and meaning. You'll be on a committee or two at your university. You might be on a committee in the community, but things you're interested in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of your time, it's not a nine to five. Okay. You know, your time, you can go be wherever you want to be, wherever you, whenever you want to be it. And okay. so you have flexibility, mm-hmm. uh, prestige, paycheck. Mm-hmm. You can actually move knowledge forward. Okay. You can oh, yeah. write the books. You yeah. can bring the perspective of how people need to see this issue and what they need to do about it. And so again, that kind of power Mm -hmm. that allows you to help the people that need the help the most. Mm -hmm. And that's really the benefit of a PhD. It's a pretty cushy life. Okay. You have to work hard, but it's on your terms during your time. And you get evaluated every year. Mm -hmm. Um, and every year toward tenure, you get evaluated. You have typically six years yeah. that you have to get enough publications and research to earn tenure. Okay. Once you're tenured, that means you really have in mind for you to be employed here until you retire. Okay. You don't have to. Okay. But it's just their guarantee right. that we want you. Okay. 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 Um, now, Celia, you're doing a lot. I know you're the director of the Institute, the Human mm-hmm. Trafficking Institute, um, but you have um, invested in helping other individuals who want to write grants mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, who want to open up or start a community. What, yeah, what, mm-hmm. um, people that want to write grants, people that uh, want to uh, form their own coalition through community organizing, people that, you know, so um, I have 
my own podcast called Emancipation Nation. It's about human trafficking advocates and helping them understand all the best practices and what they should be doing next. What is it called again? I'm sorry. It's called Emancipation Nation. Okay. And you can find it on all the Spotify and iTunes and all those things. And we talk to experts each week about human trafficking and what they can do about it. Okay. Yeah. Not what it is mm-hmm. because you can find that information on the online right not why it's important mm-hmm. that people have freedom and not be trafficked into the sex or labor trade it's about it's for those folks that are like okay i i'm passionate about it right i understand human trafficking is an issue now what do i do about it right and that's yeah. what this podcast teaches you what to do about it awesome awesome and so they can look they can look up the podcast. Oh yeah. Emancipation. Emancipation Nation. Nation. Spotify, iTunes, okay. Google okay. Play, all awesome. those things. How can I reach you if they want to reach you? They can you? reach me at the University of Toledo. Okay. You know, if they can just simply go there, type my name, Celia Williamson. And it's going to pop up under the Human Trafficking and Social Justice Institute. Okay. And so you're writing a book as well, right? I I am. It's uh, called Seat at the Table. Okay. And it's about um, my life being a human trafficking advocate because I believe, like I said earlier, if there's that seat offered, you need to sit there and take that seat at the table. If they won't let you have a seat at the table, wait for the guy to get up and go to the bathroom and take his seat because he don't need it. You need it. Right. If you still can't get a seat, just create your own damn table. Thank you. And invite other people. <laughs> exactly. So whatever it is, yes. in the code of ethics, one of the codes says that social workers are to persist. Yes. So whatever happens, even if your client walks away, the issue is still important. Right. You need to persist until you create the social change so that people have the justice that they deserve. Yes, yes. There's no reason that you should work that hard and then go home and worry about your own family. Exactly. Because you can't afford to send your child to the university they want to go to, or you can't afford, you know, to to buy a car that you can drive your family off on vacation. Right. That's not necessary. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that you could actually have it all right exactly i love your passion i love your heart you know for the field of social work and just really um you know reaching out to people and letting the workers know that you are important you know you're just as important as the individual populations that we are trying to help Absolutely. You know, and I, I love that. So I thank you for um, coming on, for sharing your journey with us. I believe what you shared was really enlightening, you know, mm-hmm. to help individuals, help our listeners understand that it's really about them. You know, it's really about them outside the box Absolutely. thinking, right? Absolutely. Because you didn't tell me not one time that you just got your bachelor's degree, you sat behind a desk, and you just did whatever they told you. Mm-hmm. But no, while you were working for someone else, mm-hmm. you seen a problem, and you said, wait, hold on, what about this? How Absolutely. can I create? And that's what, um, you know, we want the listeners to understand. Mm-hmm. We want them to understand that it's about thinking outside the box. Absolutely. Because it's a lot of PhDs people with PhDs that's not doing what you're doing. Absolutely. I think that that's why I'm excited about, you know, um, it, you're, really your brainchild, mm-hmm. six-figure social worker. Mm-hmm. Um, you told me about it. 
I ran over here, probably tried to <laughs> knock down the door because I was so excited right. about helping the profession and helping yeah. the helpers. Yes. And I wanted so bad to be on as many episodes with you co-hosting as possible. Right. And, you know, I'm still always open and available to that because I think that that is something that still continues to excite me. It gives me goosebumps yeah. to just really bring the whole profession to a new level right. and really take care of the, the people, the social workers that take care of so many other people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you once again. I will love to have you as often as possible. I definitely want you to come on when we're talking about grant writing more, going in more detail. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, but again, this is Six Figure Social Work Podcast. And I want to thank you listeners. And I want to encourage you to follow so you can be alerted of all every time that we upload our podcast the podcasts are normally uploaded on Sundays so you will be aware and again this podcast is designed to help you make a living while you're making a difference thank you for tuning in and again thanks to my guest Celia Williamson we appreciate you as a six-figure social worker thank you